Well, grace and peace to you this morning. We're so uh, glad that you're here with us today. And I uh, want to thank Riley for, for leading those songs. I know that took a, a lot of effort to, to think about those songs and think about choosing songs from Scripture. And, and you know, it's just a, a wonderful practice to do, to sing those passages from the Bible and to seek to be transformed into the image of Jesus' Son. I want to thank Riley and Frank for filling in for me for the last couple of weeks. I didn't intend to be gone two weeks in a row, uh, but it just worked out that way, and we're, we're very grateful, um, very blessed to have people here who can step up and fill in for me when I'm gone. So we're continuing a, a series in Romans chapter 8. We're actually going to wrap it up this morning, and then next week we're going to begin a, a new series, I think a very important series. We're going to look at what Scripture has to say about mental health. And so I uh, would encourage you to be back for that. Uh, maybe you know a friend or family member who, who might find that helpful or interesting and uh, you would like to invite them. But um, I think it's going to be a, a blessing to uh, us as a congregation when we explore that topic. So when we begin to think about Romans and, and sort of the context of this letter that Paul writes to the Christians who are in Rome, the, 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 these Christians face challenging times. And, and, and sometimes, you know, when we open up our Bible, we don't always consider what it was that they were going through. These are people who lived under a pagan government. They lived in a culture that promoted and encouraged ways of living that, that were contrary to Scripture and to Christian ethics. They faced various forms of persecution for not participating in the worship of Roman gods. And so being a Christian in such an environment was not always easy. And we have historical records of some of the things that, that were going on. One of, one of the major things that was happening is that the Jewish Christians had been kicked out of Rome by Claudius due to violating the, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And so Claudius reigned from 41 to 54 AD. And some of the people that, that Paul was writing to may have just returned from being banished from their homes. And not only did this church face challenges from the outside, but they also faced some challenges from within. They were divided over Jew and Gentile issues related to what a person could eat. And it's likely that there was some division caused within this congregation related to when these Jewish Christians had to pick up everything and move out of their homes and get out of Rome. And then the Gentile Christians had to sort of step up and they had to be in charge and rule the church for years until the Jewish Christians returned. And so life is not easy. It gets messy at times. And these bumps in the road are, are sometimes expected. We don't expect the culture in which we live to always accommodate our beliefs. We don't expect unbelievers to always be friendly towards our way of living. And when life is not easy in the world, this should come as, as no surprise to us. We should expect it. Scripture tells us that we should. However, there are times when were caught off guard by controversies or other disturbances that, that make life challenging. I mean, who would ever think that where a person buys their food would be an issue at church? But it was 
in churches in Rome and in Corinth. And so sometimes we can agree on sort of the big issues, but then we allow the the small ones to divide us. We can agree on the resurrection, but then divide over whether we should have a kitchen in the building or mask or, you know, where someone buys their food. And this should not be so. But it happens. And these controversies, they they can catch us off guard. They can catch us by surprise. Well, Romans 8 is written to a church that is facing these challenges. They're, they're, They're facing some big challenges from without, but they're also facing some challenges from within. And so we want to think about what does God say to a group of Christians like this who are facing these multiple challenges? Well, as we read this chapter, we can see that he says several things. First of all, he says, live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Choose life. Choose the way of life. And don't choose the way of death. He says the sufferings, the controversies of this present time are not worth comparing to what is to come. And so he's saying to these Christians, see everything from the proper perspective. Where you get your meat does not matter. Don't fight over silly things. Instead, keep focused on what God is doing now and what is to come. Because you see, God is at work in the world. And so what we should do, what these Christians should do, is participate in what God is doing rather than start controversies over insignificant matters. Do the work of God rather than divide over meaningless issues. And he also says to them, keep hope alive. Don't despair. Don't give up. Be patient. I know it's hard, but be patient and keep waiting on the new creation that is to come. Keep waiting on the resurrection. Keep waiting on God's redemption for his creation. And all of that is good, but waiting is hard. And we don't like to wait. You know, God tells us in verse 25 of Romans 8 that we are to wait. But then in verses 26 and 27, he says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so God also understands that waiting is hard. And so what he does is he does not leave us alone. We have the Spirit of God within us to help us when we are weak. We have the Spirit of God within us to pray for us when we face these challenging moments and we just don't have any idea what to pray. We don't have the words to pray. We have the Spirit of God within us to search our hearts and to intercede for us when we need someone to go to God on our behalf. We have help when times get tough. 
And then we're offered these famous words in the very next verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And these are famous words. These are encouraging words. These are words that have been memorized and quoted numerous times. But what do they mean? Well, as is often the case with famous verses, the the context provides great insight. What is the context? Well, notice what Paul says just a few verses earlier. In verses 16 and 17, he says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so what does it mean that all things work together for good for those who love God? Well, he gives us one example of this, and it's more than just an example. He says that we are to follow the way of Jesus, that we are to live a cross-shaped life, that we are to sacrifice for others just as Jesus did, just as that good Samaritan did when he stopped on the side of the road. We are to do that. We are to suffer with Jesus. We're to suffer for doing good in a world that is wrong. And as we suffer with Jesus, we are glorified with him. Now, we don't always like to talk about this, but what he's saying here is that the trials we endure, the sufferings that we experience are for our own good if we are faithfully following Christ. So what does that mean? Well, it means that if we view life through the lens of suffering, then we're going to allow that to consume us. That we will see ourselves as victims. That we will obsess over how we have been wronged that we will become stuck in a moment and that we'll never be able to move past it. And this happens to a lot of people. You probably know some people like this. Their identity is wrapped up in their suffering and it imprisons them. And this can happen to Christians as well. We can convince ourselves that, that, oh, poor us, we're being persecuted. And we're the victim to what's going on in the world. And if this is the mindset that we have, it does not lead to a good outcome. You know what? Jesus never saw himself as a victim, even though he was one. Paul never paints himself as a victim while he is unjustly waiting in prison. Instead, they both understand that suffering is viewed as a path to glory. So so what is the other lens for viewing life and viewing Suffering. It's seeing suffering through the lens of the cross. And when we view suffering through the lens of the cross, we are not a victim. Yes, suffering is not right. Suffering is not how the world should be. But suffering with Christ, suffering on behalf of others, that leads us to glory. 
And the difference between these two types of suffering is simple. The first one places us at the center of the universe. And we see the world through the lens of our own selfishness. And it's all about me. It's all about myself. The second one places Jesus at the center of the universe. And we see the world through the lens of Jesus. And we take on the mind of Christ. And we look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. And we regard others as better than ourselves. And when we do this, we are blessed. When we do this, all things work together for good according to the purposes of God. Now that's not always easy. It's not easy stuff here. Suffering is not pleasant. Trials are not something that, that we desire. And so how do we persevere in the midst of pain and tribulation? How are we to trust God when, when things are not going our way? Well, we find the answer at the very end of Romans 8 in a lengthy passage. And so listen to, to all this and then we'll begin to unpack some of it. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so this is a beloved passage. And it's a passage about the nature of God and who God is. And yet, it's also more than this. It is a passage with a context. And so right in the middle of this meditation on the love of God, Paul lists a set of circumstances. And he mentions right there in the middle of this passage, uh, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and the sword. Why does he mention these? I mean, he's, he's trying to get us to think about the love of God. Why, why does he put these right in the middle? It's because this is what the church in Rome had experienced and would experience. He's talking about real-life situations. He, he's talking to Christians who had faced 
tribulation, who had faced distress and persecution and famine. He's talking to Christians who would face danger and who would face death. And what will they do in these trying moments? Well, Paul is letting them know that they can be patient even when times get tough. Why? Because at his very essence, God is love. And so they can trust God. They can rely on God. There is no kind of circumstance that will separate us from the love of God. Now, love is a very deep word. And the way that it is used in the Bible has little in common with how it's often used in modern contexts. And so as Paul describes love in this passage, he does not have in mind a feeling or desire. Instead, it's more akin to covenant faithfulness. In other words, God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. God is not going to give up on his people. He's not going to turn his back on them. And this is very different than a desire or feeling that, that may change from one day to the next, that, that may change over a period of time. Paul is saying God's love does not change. It's not going to go away. It can be trusted. Now this matters when there's not enough food to eat. It matters when we're being persecuted for our beliefs. It matters when you know, someone is being marched into the arena to be eaten alive by wild animals. And it's in these moments and others like them that God's love can be trusted. You don't have to worry about doubting God's love. You don't have to concern yourself with wondering who God is. In these difficult moments, there are many questions. We acknowledge that. There are lots of things that we do not know. But who God is and what his intentions are towards us are not one of them. God loves us. He always has. He always will. And we see the extent of God's love summed up in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so after reading these beautiful verses on love, a person may still wonder, you know, how can we trust the love of God in troubling times? Well, verse 32 is the answer. You know, we, we live in a world where there's much talk about love, but that talk doesn't always mean very much. A person can... Uh, in our modern world, can express their love and be unfaithful. How can we trust God? Well, verse 32 is all we need. God does not just say that he loves us. He shows us. He takes on flesh and blood. He comes to earth. He lives among us. He willingly goes to the cross for you and for me. And the cross is an act of love more than anything else. It is God expressing his love for us. It is God showing us the greatness of his love. 
And this is good news. We may never be drug into an arena to face wild animals. We may never be threatened by the sword. We may never go without food or you know, have our things taken from us. But we do endure trials. We go through tough times. We experience sickness and loss and tragedy. We know what life is all about. And, and God's message to the church in Rome is the same to us. He's working to redeem all creation. He has a plan to overcome sin, sickness, death, and disease. He's going to undo everything that is wrong with the world. And we should take comfort in this and be patient. We can be patient because of who God is. He is love. And He loves each and every one of us. He, He went to the cross for you. He endured the brutality and savagery of crucifixion for us. He suffered the pain and agony of death for us. We don't ever have to doubt God's love. And so this week, you will encounter some wrong, but now you can encounter it knowing that one day God is going to right these wrongs. This week, you will face some kind of difficulty. But now you can face it knowing that there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. And so no matter what you're going through, God loves you. No matter what circumstances you are facing, God loves you. No matter what life throws your way, God loves you. So as we conclude here, we can sum up Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is written to Christians who are facing troubling times. And it's a chapter about how they should live. They should choose the way of the Spirit over the ways of the flesh. They should choose life rather than death. And when we face those difficult moments in life, you know, we're often tempted to choose the path of least resistance. We're, we're tempted to choose power and strength over the way of the cross. But Paul implores us in this chapter to choose Jesus no matter what difficulty you're facing. Romans 8 is a chapter about God's plan of redemption. These Christians who are suffering need to know what God is going to do. Those who follow and trust God will live again when Jesus returns and the faithful are resurrected from the dead. God will redeem our decaying and dying bodies, but that's not all. God is also going to redeem his creation from sin. And we will live with God in a new creation, the new heavens and new earth. And those are important things. And people need to know to do what, people need to know what to do when times get tough. We need to know how to live, and we also need hope. We need to know and understand God's plan for the future. That's important. But that's not the main point of Romans chapter eight. 
what God really wants us to know in these difficult moments in life is that he loves us. And so don't ever forget this. Don't ever doubt it. Don't ever believe any lie that says this is untrue. When times get tough, trust in God's faithfulness. Trust in his love. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, we come to you at this time and we thank you for these encouraging and inspiring words that we find in Romans chapter 8. We're so grateful that we can turn to these words and know always that you love us, no matter the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And I pray that we would rely on these words, that we would come back to them time and time again when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances. That we can take courage in these words and from this we can lead the lives that you would have us to lead. That we can choose the way of the spirit over the ways of the flesh. That we can choose the path of the cross, the way of Jesus, even when it's not always easy. That we can understand that through the suffering that we might endure, you will bring glory. Glory to our lives and glory to others. We're so grateful for Jesus who has come to this earth to show us how to live, to show us the way. May we follow it and may we be a light to others all around us. We're so grateful for what he's done for us on the cross and we pray this in his name. Amen.